Good morning. Now, that was hopefully a understanding it's a silly skit, um, and I'm not going to make my wife change my flat tire. But sometimes we have a tendency to focus on the differences, and we've been going through a series called The Truth Between Us, and we have been looking at various areas of belief and seeing instead of where there are differences, where actually light touches, and where there is a common ground to build a conversation with people of other faith. We talked about Islam, we've talked about Buddhism, we talked about Catholicism, and last week we were talking about Judaism. And today, we are going to be talking about atheism. And you might think, okay, the truth between us and other areas of faith and belief is one thing, but Theism and atheism, just in the name itself, is contrasting. Theism, belief in God. Atheism, not belief in God. And so how are there anything that you can bring together in this area of belief? But really, you'd be surprised. I think there is a lot of things that we can find and connect to. There, there are things that we should be able to stand back and actually learn from a person who is an atheist and maybe even recognize that there are areas that they have done things better than we who believe in God have. This last week I have watched, I can't tell you how many YouTube videos of debates and not even just debates, of talks by Christopher Hitchens, by uh, Richard Dawkins, by Sam Harris, um, by Neil deGrasse Tyson, all these people who are kind of prominent right now in the field of atheism. And you'll find that the atheists even debate each other in some of these things. And so it's not like I could even begin to represent all atheists because all atheists don't see things all alike, just like all Christians don't see all things all alike. And you'll find as you listen or watch some of these things that there are atheists who are very angry and they're very arrogant and they're very narrow-minded. But you can also click on another link and find theists that are very angry, that are very arrogant, and that are very narrow-minded. And there may be truth between them, but that's not what we want to focus on. You see, we want to have a conversation and, and not engage in the anger or the arrogance or in the narrow-mindedness, but maybe in a, a area of humility come alongside and say, you know, we have something that we can learn and maybe you have done something that we should have done and have done things even better than us. And so that's where we want to begin. We want to begin with this conversation. You see, we want to assume the best of the people we want to talk with and not assume the worst. There has become a, a big divide between faith and science, where people are almost seeing them in contrast to each other. And, and that wasn't always the case. There was a time 
when most of the prominent scientific minds around were actually theists. People who believed in God and people who even believed in Christ. And some that you're probably familiar with. Galileo said, I do not feel obliged to believe that the same God who has endowed us with sense, reason, and intellect has intended us to forego their use. And so he believes that there is a, a God who has given us the ability to reason and he wants us to use that reason. Or Isaac Newton, by far one of the most brilliant minds that has ever existed, said, he who thinks half-heartedly will not believe in God, but he who really thinks has to believe in God. And so here are a couple of prominent scientific minds who had a belief in God, a belief in understanding that God was a part of our understanding, but something changed. There, there was a shift that took place. And interesting enough, as things began to develop in the scientific community, there was a, a period of time that is known as the Asia's Golden Age. It happened from about 800 to 1100 A.D., And this happened in the era where Baghdad was kind of the hub of this scientific community at the time. And they just developed in areas of astrology, they, they, or astronomy. They developed in areas of biology and in mathematics. Do you ever wonder why we call them the Arabic numerals? The zero, one, two, three? Well, that's where they originated. Algebra originated from there. And so we know that that wasn't from God, at least not for me. (laughs) You see, all these areas of mathematics started to develop in this period of time. There was so much advancement. The, The stars, if you were to look and see the names, most of the stars are Arabic in name because of this time period that excelled in these areas. And what was amazing, one of the reasons they believed there was such a, an acceleration of these areas of knowledge was because of the variety of people that came together. And so a factor that played into this was the mix of religions. You had Zoroasterism, Greek polytheism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all either originated or left some substantial mark in this region. And these religions, they coexisted together at this time. And because of that, it forced them to think outside of just their box. And this engagement of other beliefs also produced and forced an opening of understanding of how they saw the world around them. And so it's believed because there was this conglomeration, this melting pot of beliefs, it forced people to think and hear views outside of just their own that engaged their lives to be open to making comparisons in how they saw things in their daily lives. But then there was this shift. And then there were some in the scientific community who started to push against this 
way of thinking and this development of thought. And it came from the religious mindset. There was one of the brilliant minds at that time, Abu Hamid Muhammad al-Ghazila. And he came up with the understanding he was Islamic and he, he started to push against this, that this understanding of these things had a potential evil. That math itself could become evil because you start to rely on your understanding and you start to not believe in your faith above what you're learning. And this started to push out the scientific community and see it as a threat against the theist's belief in God. You're, you're understanding too much information. That information might detract from your understanding. And it, it started in this area of Islam, but it soon started to spread in other areas of belief. And now you started to find that there is this contrast and this struggle against the scientific community and against the, the theistic belief in God community. And what the atheists started to do was to push back against the religions that were holding beliefs and were not allowing thoughts on those beliefs. And basically, atheism became this push against religion and superstition because it was the religious communities that were holding fast to certain beliefs that the scientific communities were now saying, wait a second, this isn't true. Like the earth is the center of the universe and that the sun revolves around the earth. And now you find yourself in danger promoting this belief because the church at that time held a different belief. And you see, atheism said, we will not allow this to dominate our conversation. And really it was about the 1800s that this idea of atheism and this rebellion against the religion and the mythology, basically, or the superstitions of that time began to arise. And it was because of beliefs like this or that the earth is flat. All of a sudden, these thoughts and this understanding of the universe and the exploration of the things around them led to a conclusion that was different than what the religions and some of their superstitions held. And so they pushed against them to say, that is wrong, and we should be thankful that they did. And we should step back and say, you know, I wish we would have took the stand that you took. The stand against the superstition. The, the stand against this holding the truth as if you alone maintained its ability to be given to the people. We should have done that, but you did, and it's a good thing that you did. Instead, there was this divide that started to take place. And superstition is a hard thing to let go of, isn't it? I mean, we've all had superstitions probably as we've grown up. You know, I don't want to, oh man, I hope there's, 
you know, everything goes well, knock on wood. What does that do? You knocked on a chair. Like you're going to change the cosmos by knocking on a chair. I feel better now, knock on wood. It's like that, where did that come from? And why do people still do that? Oh no, you said it, don't say that or something might happen. And we have these understandings. And even some of the things we've heard promote that. You know, you see the Indians and they did the rain dance and you say, oh, that's stupid. But then a teacher will respond and say, well, it worked every time. You say, what? It worked every time? What does that mean? Well, yeah, sometimes, you know, the Indians, you know, they had to appease the rain gods and they would dance and then the gods were appeased and it would rain that same day. Other times the gods were a little angry and they'd have to dance for days before it would rain. Sometimes they were really angry. They'd dance for weeks, even months before the rains come. But eventually the rain gods would hear and the rain would come. See, it's empirical evidence that the the dance works and provides rain. And it's this kind of superstitious thought that permeated society and happened in a lot of areas of faith that atheism started to push back and say, we are not going to let our lives be defined by superstition. And for that, we should really be thankful. We should be thankful that they've made that. And as they found their fruition in the intellectual conversation around the 18th century, they were determined to end the rule of religion on humanity, determined to destroy the effect of superstition on the human mind. And for too long, religion has allowed humanity to live under the weight of superstition. And the church, however we view that term, has started to to make these kinds of rules, make these kinds of understandings, so that when something scientific comes up, immediately the church wants to know we are people of faith, we refute what you say, not based on what it is, but because of our already held beliefs. And so we start to find this tension And then you find people who are a people of faith that they are anchored to this belief that no longer enables them to just search out and to research and to want to discover. And you see, atheism took the shackles off of some of that fear. Oh no, the church believes this. We we can't go against that. And it's like, no, we're going to explore because we feel we have the right to and we want to find the truth, whatever it is. And think about that. What would be wrong with that? A pursuit of truth is something that should be welcomed. A pursuit of truth is something that a person of faith should be known for. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are obligated to a persistent pursuit of what is true. Jesus himself said the truth will set you free. So why wouldn't we stop pursuing what is true? Somewhere, I think we've been taught that your faith is in conflict with science or reason. And so you have to hold on to your faith 
and not trust in reason. And so it has limited a lot of involvement into these areas because of fear. And I think there are some, even Christians, who are afraid that one day they're going to uncover a rock that's going to reveal something and that rock is, what is under that rock is going to prove that our faith is wrong or they're going to explore something and they're going to find life somewhere and we're going to have to, oh no, deal with that. And so there's this kind of fear, oh, I can't pursue these kinds of things. And in fact, it, it happens on a regular basis. My nephew, he was watching and he's a brilliant kid and he was watching the that genius kid or most smartest kid, that's not the right way of saying it, but that's why I'm not on the show or never would have been. You know, it's the most intelligent kids and there you have these kids who are just amazing, who are, who are able to do mathematical things and able to understand and retain this knowledge that is just unbelievable and they're just kids. And then there was this one kid and he was in the area of biology and he goes, well, first of all, I got to tell you that I'm a Christian and so I will determine everything in this based on my belief. And my nephew heard that and it stood out to him. You see, because he, he has family that are Christian, but then he has family that are not Christian. And he is kind of in this middle and he's looking and he's trying to find out what what is true. And he hears this young boy say, I will not believe anything about this because I already believe this. And in his mind, in the conversation I had with him, he says, that doesn't make sense to me. Why wouldn't you pursue something just because you already believe something? Wouldn't that limit your understanding? And I'm like, huh, what'd you say? You know, I'm like... But you see, that's what has happened. Because I believe this, I can't explore this. And what a shame that we have become known for people who are closed to exploration and wanting to learn. Again, no one should be ruthlessly pursuing truth more than a follower of Christ. Jesus would never lead us to anything that wasn't true. And God would never want us to pursue something that isn't true. And any faith that is not based on truth is not worthy of your or my life. And I have seen respected Christians be wrong enough to not want to bank everything on what they say, but to want to pursue the truth. In fact, that is one thing that we hope will encourage, we're encouraging here. We want you to pursue the scripture. We want you to pursue God. I'm talking to you and I'm sharing some thoughts to you that I believe are, are founded in truth, but I want you to pursue these things as well. I don't want you to expect me to give you all the answers. Unless it's about dog training, then come to me and I can help you. (laughs) But when it comes to life and the understanding of life and, and God, let's face it. We know very little of a universe that is very 
very big. And, and that's one of the things I appreciated as I was listening to some of this discourse, especially it was, I think, Neil de Tyson was talking about how expansive the universe is and how little it is that we actually have been able to explore and that there has to, you know, we have such hubris to assume that we know so much. And, and I can appreciate that because it is true. We are discovering new things and we should be willing to explore those things. But what we need to recognize, and I think one of the things that we have to connect to is that we are human. And as human beings, whether you're a theist or whether you're an atheist, there are things that we need that we have in common. There was a TED Talk I, I listened to by Alan de Baton, and it was called Atheism 2.0. And he said, you know, as atheists, we stopped believing in God, but when we stopped believing in God, we we gave up some things that we really liked, like Christmas carols. And I understood that right away. I I know what that means because I believed in Christmas carols before I believed in Jesus. I liked them. I didn't know what they meant. I didn't have an understanding. It's kind of strange to you know, think about a Christmas carol apart from Christ, but I understand the emotional attachment. And he talked about we we stopped having, you know, calendar events, things that we would celebrate on days. We we detached ourselves from these things, and these things were important to us. They they meant a lot to us. And one of the things he said is we detached ourselves from community. Where one of the things that Religion has done very well as they have developed communities and these communities are able to accomplish a lot of things because they are united in them and we've separated ourselves from community. So maybe we can, you know, still hold this belief that there is no God, but start taking some of the things that were good about these things and not abandon some of the things that were actually good. And I thought that's very interesting. He wants to hold on to religion apart from God. What's interesting is I'm trying to hold on to God apart from religion, right? It's kind of this dichotomy that's taking place. But one of the things that we see is there is this need for all of us, for theists and for atheists alike, to connect to people. Connection is a huge and important thing. And even though we find that we have all these different answers of why this has happened, the purpose of these things, what we do find is we have the same questions. And those questions are things that are driving us. You know, they're they're telling us something. We're all trying to find out the meaning of life. Stephen Hawking and his book, The Grand Design or The Theory of Everything. And I even watched that movie this last week. It's a good movie. He's trying to find out the meaning of all things. And in fact, that was the, the emotion of the movie was what is the meaning of this? And then to have what happened to him where he lost the function of his body 
What is the meaning of life? You see, we, we have a lot of answers, but we're all trying to find out what is the meaning of everything. I want to know, you know, why things are what they are. The beginning of all things has to do with the story of why we're here. We're, we're trying to find out why are we here. We're trying to find out something that makes sense, not just of the universe, not just of history, but of us. We're trying to find the meaning of us. And whether you're an atheist or a theist, you're asking the questions to find out the meaning of who you are. Things that make sense to you. Because we are meaning machines. We ask the questions. We are curious. Do you remember when your children were younger? Maybe you're there now. And they never stop asking questions. How does that happen? Why is that? Why? 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 What do you mean, why? I don't know. Why does it rain? Well, because it needs to water the earth. Why does the earth need to be watered? So that the plants grow. Why do plants need to grow? Where is this going to end? You know, why would we have to know? There is this desire for meaning. Things are here for a reason. And I want to know what that reason is. And so I am pursuing that to find out. And you have to admire the effort that these people who have no belief in God are putting in to try and find the meaning of things. Some of them, it's like exhausting listening to this and I'm like, man, I would have given up a long time ago. You're going a lot further than I think I would have ever thought necessary. But they're trying to find meaning. And one of these areas that we find meaning is, is with each other. This idea of intimacy. You see, whether you're a theist or an atheist, you need people. That was one of the points in the movie, the theory of all things, was that there, there is this desire while he is trying to find a theory that made sense of life and everything, yet there was the desire to find out what meant sense in his own life and the relationships that he had with his wife, the problems that he had in that relationship, the relationship to the children and the people around him. And so this idea of community that... Alan Davidson talked about is something that he sees there's a need for, and we recognize that need. In fact, God told us it is not good for the man to be alone. And whether you think of this as historical or mythological, the statement in this scripture is profound wherever you are because it is a truth that drives everything that we do as human beings. We need to connect. We need to connect to people. And we need to understand how profound this is. We're all searching to belong. We're all looking to connect, to love and to be loved. 
In fact, you, you start having problems when you do not allow love to come into your life. And so Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly, talks about the power of vulnerability, how it is only the people who are vulnerable to other people and allowing other people to come into their lives are the ones who live fulfilled lives. And so love is something we need, but it's something that we fear the most. And so then you have Sam Harris talking about what drives all humanity is fear. And yet you have love that we are willing to go through fear because it is more important. And you have people who in facing fear will do things for love even though they are afraid because it is something that is even deeper than that fear, is the need to love and to be loved. And this is something that is true for both of us. Another thing that we have in common is this idea of progress, of destiny. We all need hope. We all need to know that things can be better than they are. I can be better than I am. If we lose hope, We lose the will to live. Hope is foundational. And this idea is what drives us. We want to make a a more ecologically friendly vehicle. We we want to find a, a phone that can do more things and can have a battery life that's longer. We, we, we want to do these things. In fact, it's interesting that most of the technology we have that has advanced incredibly has advanced in the areas that connect us as human beings. We talked about this Wednesday. Have you noticed that? I mean, look at the advances that it made so that we can talk to each other, so that you can face chat with each other. I mean, I, I do this Skype call with the people in Mexico regularly. We're interacting. It's amazing but I still don't have my Jetsons car that can fly. You would think we'd be able to do that. You would think we'd have been able to deal with the things, cancer, you know, and the struggles of some of these disease, but man, we can put enough information on a little chip now to be able to hold all kinds of information so that we can communicate. There are some 13 billion people on Facebook. Facebook, if it was a country, would be the largest country in the world. What is it doing? It's connecting us to one another. And so we are driven to try and make things better than they are. Find out how to do things, what we can do better, how we can make our lives better, how we can understand things more and more. There is this need, and the truth between us is that we need hope. It was interesting, in one of the debates that Neil DeGrasse Tyson was having with another atheist. It might have been Richard Dawkins. At the end, they were taking some questions, and one of the questions was posed to them, to him specifically, when you die with your belief system, what are you going to do? What hope is there for you after you die? Because you don't believe in a God, so what's the point? And it was interesting because he said, when I die, I don't want to be cremated because I want to be buried so that my body can provide energy to the earth and to what's reoccurring. And everyone applauded. And whether you think that's silly or not, what I thought is, 
I still want my life to have purpose beyond me. Why would you care if it went back into the earth and just created things that have no hope for yourself or anything else? Unless there was the idea of, I want to be connected to something beyond me. And so I think there is something driving us to find meaning. Something as driving us to have connection and something as driving us to know that we are have a destiny or progress. And that's something that's found in all of us. And let's face it. There is no way that we can empirically prove or disprove God. There is no way we can say, here is God, I can prove him to you. Or God doesn't exist and I can prove that he doesn't. But if God did exist, there is no way we would even be able to know that he existed unless he wanted to be known. And so if God wants to be known, then he has to have a means of revealing himself. And there's a passage in Matthew that's interesting. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 and 17. We've talked about this passage recently a few times. When Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They answered, some say John the Baptist, other Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, you have to have some backdrop here, okay? He's asking them, who do you think I am? You know, you're, you're you know, one of the prophets, and these are all compliments, by the way. You know, you're Elijah, you know, you're John the Baptist. You're, you're someone important. You're someone who's made an impact on the nation. And he says, who do you say that I am? And it's not surprising that Peter's the first one to speak up. Because Peter, even when he didn't know the answer, he was the first one to speak up. Okay, he just kind of spoke up. And so I could just see Peter saying, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, and all the other disciples going, oh man, there he did. He did it again. He just blasphemed. But now Jesus replies. And he says, he answered to him, verse 17, you are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. It's amazing. First of all, it's like, Peter, that was great, but it wasn't you. God gave you insight that you didn't have. And Jesus is implying that God is able to give us understanding that isn't from us. And I don't, I can't speak for you. I can't speak for these people that I've listened to. I can only speak for myself. But I know from an early age, before I had any understanding of Christ or theology, really, I had an understanding of God. I don't know how to explain it. I had an understanding that my life was connected to something more than me, that my life had purpose. I remember watching a TV show. I had no idea what the TV show was, and my mom actually reminded me 
of this years ago, that after watching this show, I just said, I think it's a good thing to believe in God. I don't know why I said that. We have found that children are able to be divergent in their thinking, to think of many different things at the same time. It's a more complicated way of reasoning, is divergent thinking. In fact, Stephen Hawking talks about it in his book about having these multiple realities taking place at the same time, that there are these multiple things taking place that we are connected to and we cannot limit our understanding to just what we know. Sounds like faith to me. That we shouldn't be limiting. And to have this divergent mentality is something that is found almost exclusively in children. By the time children are like fifth grade, the things start to change and divergent thinking starts to go into convergent thinking. And it is only about 2% of the adult population that is able to engage in divergent thinking because most of us are linear and convergent in our thinking. And when Jesus says you should become like a little child, Maybe he's saying a child has the ability to perceive and to understand things different and actually more. And maybe even as I was listening to these conversations and they would talk about, you know, there there are things that we don't know. There are things that we can't see. We can't see infrared. We are limited in our, our ability to see, but those things are there and we are unaware of them. Or microwaves, you know, we are unable to recognize them, but they affect who we are. If we're not careful, they can have a harmful effect on us. All these different things that are invisible still affect us. And and maybe what's taking place is there is another reality taking place, this understanding of faith. And we're trying to use just reason, convergent thinking to see something that requires a different way of thinking. Maybe we're trying to use our our sense of taste to hear. And both are important, but they're different. And reason is important, but faith is important. And maybe together they help us to gauge and understand the reality of God. Not just in reason, but in reason. And then this almost knowing something that we wouldn't be able to know unless it was revealed to us. The Psalms tell us, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. But it's not verbal speech. What kind of speech is it? How is God speaking? And maybe the problem that we have in this idea, well, we have to have reason here and we have to have faith here, is we're we're trying to hear something with that sense of taste. And we need to understand that they have to work in harmony, much like sense of smell and taste work together. You can almost taste a cup of coffee in the morning when you smell it. You start salivating. Or is that just me? (laughs) And it's connected even though it's not exactly the same. 
And maybe that's what's taking place in some of these areas of reason, in these areas where we're wanting to understand that there is more than we, what we can see and that faith becomes a tool to detect things that we're unaware of. And instead of trying to prove this is right or this is wrong, maybe what we need to do is start to engage with the idea that maybe there is more than we know. Maybe there is the ability to understand and hear things that aren't audible, but still affect who we are. In fact, there's probably a lot of areas that we can do this. One of the things that's been interesting throughout the conversations as they've been developing, you see, there's been these areas that have been troublesome for the atheistic mind, and one of them has been morality. How do we deal with morality? Because morality has this understanding of right and wrong, and so they're trying to, you know, Sam Harris does this a lot with both morality and free will, trying to understand how can we deal with morality in a biological way, or how can we deal with the choice of free will in just a biological way? Because we have to find an answer to that because if there is actually any kind of morality, which even trying to find out the reason of right and wrong means that you're acknowledging that there's something right and wrong and and wanting to deal with free will and just make it a biological thing, you have the freedom to pursue this because it was important to you seems to support the ideology that there is the choices being made. And, And I cannot believe in any kind of system, whether it be of faith or whether it be of science that takes away my freedom to make a choice of how I'm going to live my life. That's something that I think is important. That's something that has driven humanity to want to be better. It's something that I believe was implanted by God. I think it's something that each of us here from the moment we're children as we get older is this idea that you have decisions to make to determine how you are going to live. And those choices will make a difference on the person you will become. And we all make good choices and bad choices. And so maybe what we can do to to develop the conversation with the truth between us is recognize that reason is great. That science is a beautiful thing, but what drives a scientist to want to know more? You see, if you think you know everything, then you wouldn't pursue to learn something. The whole scientific process requires mystery requires you to want to know more. How does that work? Why do you want to know that? Again, it's the same questions. Why do you want to know that? And maybe it's that question. Maybe it's in that wanting. Maybe it's in that thing that we are able to imagine 
that we actually start to find the seed that God has planted in each of us. Oh, there's a billion answers, and they come from all different areas of thought. And we all bring our own position into how we view things, whether you're a theist or an atheist. But maybe deeper than our position is the question of why do I want to know? Or the imagination. I can imagine a world that is different. I can imagine a world that has peace. I can imagine a Sam who's nicer and taller and and better looking. You know, I, I can imagine so much more than is what I am able to see. How is it that I have an imagination that I can make into a reality, maybe not the tall part, but maybe I can be a better human. I can make this a better world. I can do something that can bring a benefit to other people. Maybe it's in this area of imagination that we actually are hearing the voice of God. Not in all the answers, but in the questions. It was Einstein who said, logic will get you from A to B. Imagination will take you everywhere. Maybe it's in imagination that we will actually be able to hear and find the voice of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that if anyone is here this morning and is in this place of not believing in a God, I pray that your voice would be shouting into their soul. Lord, it's not up to us to prove you are there. If you are there, then you are speaking. And I pray that they would be able to hear. Maybe they don't even understand how they hear. Maybe it's something that moves them and they don't understand it. Maybe it's that that voice that's saying, I exist, and they're arguing back, no, you don't, no, you don't. But that voice doesn't go away. And maybe it is in those questions that they hear it is you who have put those questions deep within each of us. And so I pray that you would shout in those questions and that you would reveal yourself in these areas and that if anyone is here this morning who does not believe in you, Lord, in spite of what they believe, that they would hear from you. If you're God, you're speaking. And maybe they just need to Listen differently. I pray that they would. And I pray that they would make a choice to ask more questions, to seek the truth. I pray that we would all do that. That we would not live in fear of discovery, but we would pursue discovery with abandon. We would search for truth 
with our whole hearts, that we would again be people who would lead in the scientific community, not to prove or disprove your existence, but to live lives that are full and to change the world around us and allow you to speak. Lord, we are here and we're listening. I want to share just with you here, I, I don't know if maybe there's someone here who doesn't believe in God, but you feel like you want a place, you want community. Maybe you were invited by a friend and you're just saying, I, I want to be here. I want you to know that you're welcome here, no matter what your belief is. As we've been going through this whole series of the truth between us, we are not here to disgrace or shame anyone in their beliefs. And if you don't believe in God, you can still call this place your home. We're going to try and convert you. Sorry, that's just how we are. But we're not going to shame you. We're not going to try and prove you wrong. But we are going to love you. And you're welcome here. God bless you guys. We pray these things, Lord. Have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.